Amen. Who saw that movie Titanic when it came out? A lot of people, huh? When you went to see that movie, did you realize it was like 700 hours long? Because Shelly and I went to see it when I was in the Marine Corps. What was that, like 98 or something like that? 97, 98 time frame? Uh, so I was in the Marine Corps. Me and Shelly were married. And so we just went to see it because, you know, let's go to a movie. Okay, that one. It was really, really good. So it didn't seem like it was three and a half hours. But we came out of the movie theater and we're like, oh my gosh, how long have we been in there? But it's such a great story. In 1912, the RMS Titanic made its maiden voyage from Southampton, England to New York. It was the most luxurious and technologically advanced passenger ship in the world. And they marketed it as, what was the big marketing ploy for the Titanic? The unsinkable ship, right? The world's first and last unsinkable ship. Ironically... It hit an iceberg, and it sank. And I'm pretty sure I read that it was only four days into the journey. It just left. I mean, how long does it take to sail from England to New York? Probably a while, right? Who knows how long? Weeks? Months? More than four days. The unsinkable ship, the best ship in all the world, the best ship ever created sunk in four days because it hit an iceberg and it killed 1,517 of the men, women, and children who were on board. The youngest victim was 13 months. The youngest survivor was two months. It's kind of crazy, right? Two months old. The oldest was 74 years old, oldest victim, pretty widespread group of people there. So what's also interesting about the uh, the Titanic was it was capable of carrying 48 lifeboats. These are lifeboats like, I don't know, as big as the church. They're huge lifeboats. But it was only carrying 20. I mean, when you're planning and you think that your ship's unsinkable, it's almost kind of a surprise they had any lifeboats on board. Right? They thought it was impossible for this this ship to sink. But it could carry 48, but it was only carrying 20. And when these lifeboats deployed, most of them were only a little over half full. Because people were freaking out. I mean, you saw the movie, right? Everyone was pretty freaked out. And they're trying to deploy these lifeboats. So basically, these lifeboats had room for about 1,100 people. And only 712 people survived the sinking ship. So if they had 48 boats... They would have had enough for just about everybody on board. But they only had half that many, uh, less than half that many, and they didn't survive. According to eyewitness accounts, the ship's orchestra of eight musicians continued to play during the whole evacuation. That's just not movie magic. That's what people said happened. It was an attempt to calm the passengers down. They played until the very end, until a wave swept them off the boat, and they all died, all of them. Uh, but by many reports, the last song that they were playing was Near, Nearer My God to Thee. Yeah. Mm. They were all in the same boat. There are people from every demographic that died. Now, disproportionately, of course, but there was rich people who died and poor people who died. There was one guy who put his new, fiance, uh, not fiance, but his new bride on one of the boats and then he died. He got her off safely and, and her uh, maidservant and he died. 
There was children, there was old people, young people, passengers, crew members, servants, officers. The richest man on the boat died and the captain died. It's probably like if you think like in terms of society, those are the two most powerful people on this boat. The richest guy and the guy calling all the shots. But they both died on the boat. Their power wasn't enough to save them. What's my point in talking about the Titanic this morning? Is that we are all in the same boat too. The world wants us to focus on our differences, but spiritually, we're basically the same. I mean, you can look around and we all have different things. And and I know we all look for different things sometimes. and, And the world is very keyed on the individual things that make all of us different. But spiritually speaking, everybody in the room is in the same boat. The same boat. We're all just arranging chairs on the deck of the Titanic. Who can play an instrument? You guys are hired. One, two, three, four, five, seven, eight. You eight. You're the last. You get to stay on there. Because we need you. No, the book of Romans is what we're in tonight. The book of Romans. The apostle Paul is saying basically the same thing. At the end of the day, whether you're a Jew or you're a Gentile, your fate is the same. Our sin has condemned us all to death. Our only hope is salvation by grace alone, through faith faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Let's get into our verses today. Romans chapter uh, 3, 9 through 20. Romans chapter 3, 9 through 20. What then? Are we better than they? No, not at all. For we have uh, previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is no, there is none righteous, not, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all gone out of their way. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it is to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the, wor- all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. This is what Paul is saying. In the book of Romans, the apostle Paul is speaking to a Jewish audience. He's, he's sent this letter to a Jewish group of Christians trying to help them work out in their mind where their Jewish tradition and history with God meets Jesus Christ and salvation under the new covenant. Because they're kind of stuck in this old way of thinking and they're kind of stuck with their own traditions and the law. And he's talking to people who believe that they are saved because they're just sons of Abraham. Like, I don't understand why you're talking about Jesus and all these things. We follow the law and we're sons of Abraham. We're good. We know what's going on. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. I'm a Jew as well. I'm an educated teacher of the law as well. And I'm telling you, you're not good just by following the law. And because you're born of the sons of Abraham. They think they're God's people. And they are. And they're well versed in the law. 
and they don't understand why they're wrong. But Paul's trying to tell them why they're wrong. In Romans chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. They're saying the Jews should not uh, not be condemning of the behavior of the Gentiles, all the while thinking that they're safe from the consequences of their own sinful behavior. He's telling them, you're doing the same things, you're not safe from the consequences that you think that the Gentiles are going to get. That's a new concept for them. They're like, ah, we follow the law. It's like, no, you break the law, and you're not safe from the from the consequences that God has and his judgment that on uh, the people who break the law. Because God doesn't play favorites, and we're all going to be held to the same standard. He's trying to tell them this, that they think that there are, are a better, higher standing uh, group of people because of their stature and their history with religion and with God. They think they're better than those who don't have God. And Paul is saying, it doesn't make you better. You are under the same uh, condemnation of sin without Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. What advantage then has the Jew, or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way, Paul says. Chiefly because to them were committed the oracles or the scriptures of God. So he's saying, what's the advantage the Jews have then? If they were God's people, but that doesn't matter as far as sin goes, and they know the law, but that's not going to get them salvation. He says, so what? So what's the what, what's the advantage? What's the point? Is there any? He's like, yeah, you have the advantage of of knowing who God is and knowing what the scriptures say. That's to your benefit. Although we can see throughout uh, the the new the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament that they're not taking advantage of this fact. <laughs> they're squandering it. But that's their advantage. And if, like Paul said in chapter 2, that the Jews can't count on their history with God for salvation, and following the law won't make them more righteous, the advantage is that they understand the scriptures and they have those. They have the advantage because the Gentiles don't have the word of God and they don't know the truth. Uh, the Jews just need to start obeying the truth that they know. That's what Paul's trying to get out of them. Like, you're, you think you're following the law by the letter of the law, but you're violating the law because you're not following the spirit of the law. Like, Jesus Christ has come. So the Jews might think then, uh, if they're chosen by God, and that doesn't matter to, to Paul, and that God, they have God's word, and this gives them the advantage, then it must make them better than the Gentiles. But Paul says, no, you are not better than the Gentiles. I think this is a similar thing to the way Christians kind of act today sometimes. I think it's a really easy trap to fall into. Uh, we have the knowledge of God. We have his Bible. We are his people. It's really easy to start shifting our brains to thinking that we're better than everybody else is. And I see it a lot. Um, when, so the one thing I've noticed a lot lately is that people have removed faces and people from the issues that they're against or the things that they're fighting against. 
Because it's so much easier to fight against an idea or a construct than to realize there's actual real people behind those things. Every decision gets made affects somebody. Everything that you're fighting for, somebody else is deeply affected by that. It's really easy to make our choices and decisions and say harsh things and throw things out there when we don't see the faces that are, uh, that are uh, the people being impacted by it. That's why uh, I think one of the reasons why social media and, and all those kinds of things, the news is so damaging because it's easy just to watch it and not see the the people who are most impacted by the things we say and do and so i think just like the jews are, are getting this false sense of piety over all the other pagans out there like somehow they aren't going to be held accountable for their sins i think sometimes as christians we can be that way too we have our own junk and and we recognize it but somewhere between recognizing that we have sin in our lives that we need forgiveness for and, and, and God's forgiveness for us, we don't recognize that all those other people that we're criticizing and downplaying and putting down and calling the enemy are also in the same boat we are. They have sins they need forgiveness of. And if Jesus Christ becomes their Lord and Savior and gives them that forgiveness, they're in the exact same boat you are. Now, the one thing that really confuses me right now is how we can't disagree, but then I'll still be in community. And maybe the only place that I see that is within the church. I think that's the only place that I've seen people who completely disagree, but somehow can maintain a sense of community and kindness towards each other. Everywhere else I go, whether it's work or anywhere, it's, it's unbelievable that the culture that's supposed to exist, but then as soon as something comes up where people have disagreements on, it's just like... Yep, we're done with those people. Let them all get fired. We're done with those people. They're all radicals or whatever. It's it's more polarizing than it's ever been. And I think it's dangerous for us. We could fall into the same kind of trap if we're if we're not being careful. The Jews here have become prideful and entitled about their relationship to God. And it's a huge danger for us too. It's easy to fall into the trap. Think about this. Think about if you start believing that you've outworked your fellow Christians in doing good. And that's earned you favor with the Lord or with the church or with other believers. It's really easy to do, right? Because we're supposed to do good works. We're supposed to honor God with the way we live our lives. And so maybe you've dialed it in and you're super honoring. You read your Bible all the time. You serve every time the doors are open. Next thing you know, you just want to make sure people see that you're here when the doors are open. They want you to see that you're the one who got the sound set up or you're the one who cleaned up the AMC. You slowly pick up the litter in the parking lot hoping somebody will drive in and catch you doing good for the Lord. It's easy to have happen. I've had it happen to me too. The stuff sneaks up on you. You begin to want recognition from man for your service from God. If the pastor would just say something about me, call me up on a Sunday and tell me what good job I'm doing in front of the church. Is it not good enough if he just gives you a call or texts you and say, hey, I I noticed you're doing great things? No, you want it in public. You want it brought up in front. You want everybody to know how much the pastor likes you. I see it. It happens. You feel entitled to blessings because of your faithful attendance to church or your tithing or you watch your behavior real good. You think you deserve it and you think it's owed to you like a quid pro quo from God. God, I've done all these things for you. Why haven't you given me what I've asked for? It's easy to do, right? 
God bless. He's supposed to bless you. You're supposed to ask him for what you want. It's okay to expect that he's going to bless you. But when you start working because you think it somehow ties God's hands behind his back that he has to bless you. I was talking to a guy one time and, uh, and he was struggling with finances. It was a huge struggle for him. He struggled to keep a job. He struggled with his finances. He had a lot of issues he was trying to work out. And we were talking one time and, and he's like, yeah, you know, I've really, really been trying to tithe. Cause we'll tell you that tithing is like the gateway for your blessings. If you could show God that he's the Lord over your money and that you trust him over your finances, which what tithing does and being obedient, it's amazing what God can do in the life of someone who's not addicted to their own money, who believes God for, for their uh, provision. But this is the danger of it, right? And I can say something like that, and, and I don't want you to get the right, wrong idea like this person had. He said, well, you know, I've been, I've been tithing as much as I can lately because, you know, I mean, I just really... I really need a financial blessing. So I figured, you know, I've, I've been given a lot lately, so I know it's coming. I know it's coming. I can really need it. And I said, brother, that's just not the way that works. <laughs> and then the conversation was really short after that. <laughs> but that's not the way it works, okay? You don't somehow earn favor from God or earn a blessing from God because you did everything that the law told you you needed to do. It's like a mind shift. It's a heart shift away from thinking that somehow you can legalistically get there on your own strength and just recognizing that your obedience is out of a thankfulness for the grace of God that saved you, not for your salvation, but because you've been saved. There is none righteous, not even one. Sin will condemn us all to death without Jesus. If God's own people stand guilty, how much more the rest of the world? Now, Romans chapter 3, verse 20 says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Simply obeying the rules and doing good deeds will not save you. You will not escape death. The interesting thing about the law, and it says it a couple times in the scriptures, is the law just lets us know how sinful we are. Because now you know. If you, It's funny because Paul says, if you didn't have the law, you wouldn't know you were in sin. And so some might say, well, that's great. Then why did you ruin it for me? Well, the, well, the, the law is written on your heart. You know when you're doing the wrong thing. Not knowing doesn't absolve you of the consequences or the judgment that is to come. But because you know, you are without excuse now. That's the whole point. The law is letting you know that you will be under judgment if you live your life in sin. So be happy that you know. Wouldn't it suck to show up in heaven and have Peter at the pearly gates be like, Oh, what you didn't know? I didn't know if I had only known. Come on. That's your advantage, Christians. Your advantage is you do know because you have the scriptures. This means that we are all sinners who need a savior. Now, I say that and you've probably heard it, I don't know, once a week for how long have you been attending this church? But I think sometimes, and I know this in my own life sometimes too, sometimes you hear it and it doesn't really sink in. Sometimes you hear it and you're like, yeah, I know. But then when you see things happen in your life, you're like, oh, that's what that meant. 
And so part, part of what Paul is trying to tell the Jews here in this context is he's telling them, like, you may think you know, but let me tell you again, because you may not be living like you do know. So I'm telling you again, without Jesus Christ, we are just sinners condemned to hell. So if you try to do it on your strength, on your own strength, you're going to fail. If you try to pretend like you don't know, you're going to fail. We need Jesus Christ as our savior. That's the only way. There's no way to negotiate around it. That's another thing that I see in, in culture these days that I don't know if I've ever seen it as much as I see it today. It's people trying to negotiate around their convictions in order to just kind of dance through these different circles of, of whatever you want to call it condemnation for this reason or condemnation for that reason. We're just going to kind of dance around and try to make sure we don't fall into anybody's bad graces. Now, maybe that's because everybody was so lukewarm before about their convictions that it was really easy to navigate through life. Maybe the the reason is now is because everybody's so stinking committed to their convictions, right or wrong, that there's no way around it. You're just going to have to to choose where you're going to going to lie. But Christians, we've been having we should have been choosing where we lie all along. There never should have been a question about what we believe. There never should have been a question about where we stand. And maybe that's the benefit of today's day and age is that no longer can you hide. Now you have to actually identify yourself with what you believe in. You're going to have to make some decisions that push you to to that uh, that friction point where you really have to stand for what you believe in. So many people in our country live their entire lives without ever having to commit or make a choice to anything. Because you leave your house, you go to your job, you drive back. You notice how all houses have the, the garage right in the front of the house now? Like old school, like my garage is, is detached. So even if you do drive right in the garage, you still got to go outside to get into the house. You used to have driveways. When I grew up, we just had a driveway. It's two strips of concrete that just cut the lawn, just right in the grass. You just parked in the, parked in the yard. But now you can go right into your driveway, right into your garage, and then walk into your house and back and forth all week long and never have to talk to a single soul. Crazy. But not anymore. Not anymore. We can't be in a right relationship with God apart from the sacrifice of sin that Jesus Christ made. There's no need to overcomplicate it. You got you got to understand uh, uh, the understanding of this makes all the pieces fall into place. It doesn't need to be super complicated. And I think sometimes we can get uh, like paralyzed by trying to overcomplicate. I mean, listen, there's a lot of really good stuff in here and it all connects and it's all important. But when it comes down to basic salvation, when it comes down to basic right or wrong, where do you fall? It's really not that complicated. But I think sometimes there's safety in overcomplicating it because then we can play like we don't really know what's going on. And then we can say, oh, I didn't know. It was so complex. The preacher never talked about that. You can read it for yourself. You can. Can I, t- can I talk to you guys about being a firefighter EMT? Now, I I probably shouldn't say anything. I shouldn't. Because a lot of you seem to really revere the firefighter archetype. This, this magical hero. That if anything ever goes wrong, they show up with the, to the rescue. Their capes tucked in tight, 
ready to go. I can't tell you how many times I've heard something like, like talking about some, oh, we're going to go do this or that, or, oh, it's kind of dangerous. It's okay. We have a firefighter here. And I always let it go because I'm like, mm, yeah, you do. Because <laughs> I never want to be like, like, what exactly do you expect me to do? I don't have any tools. I remember one time at the, when we were at the old building, uh, a T-bone accident happened just at the intersection, which is a couple hundred feet away. And somebody comes running into the church, Pastor Jay, Pastor Jay, there's been an accident. And I'm like, what? Like, yeah, out there, there's been an accident. I'm like, okay, all right. So I pull my phone out of my pocket and I look down and I kind of start jogging down there and I pick my phone out and I'm, you know, and I'm calling 911. Right? Like, let's get the process started. I mean, every emergency training you've ever had starts with call 911. It doesn't say start with go find the local firefighter and it says call 911. So I'm calling 911 and I run down there and everybody's okay. Cars are really safe these days. Whatever, whatever. I look around. Everybody's fine. You hear the sirens. They're going to live. Okay, it's fine. So I come walking back and I come back and somebody's like, oh, I so weird. It looked like you were on the phone. Like, who are you on the phone with? I'm like, 911. <laughs> so here's the firefighter EMT trick, right? So 70% of the time I'm seeing medical patients and you could probably count like if you consider like car accidents and other like technical rescue type stuff where people are hurt, injured or trapped, you could probably count that in there too. So even more than that all day, whenever I'm at work, we go to see medical patients that call 911 and then we show up. So you would think that I would have this huge broad base of complicated technical knowledge about the human body and, and, you know, different connections and all these kind of things because I've been doing it for almost 20 years. But let me tell you the, the little secret trick. I don't have to know what's wrong with you. I've got pain. Okay. I've got abdominal pain. You know how much stuff is right here? (laughs) Almost everything important. Like this, everything important to you, 90%. Because some of you have stuff up here that's important. But the rest (laughs) is right here. You say you have abdominal pain. I do not have x-ray vision. I'm going to take you to the hospital. Why? Because you have abdominal pain. It could be anything. I don't have to make a lot of decisions. It's really, really, really simple. The first thing I have to decide is, is if you're sick or you're not sick. Not sick means that you're going to live for a little while longer. Sick means that you're probably going to die if I don't do anything at all. That's sick. Not sick is I could leave you at home or I could take you to the hospital. You're not going to die today. So that's the first thing I have to decide. Are you going to die today or are you not going to die today? And you could usually tell, I mean, after a while, you can tell from across the room. You're like, ooh, that person's going to die today. Hey, let's get some paramedics coming. We're in a hurry. (laughs) You need to go to the hospital. (laughs) It's coming. So that's the first step I have to make. And so if I decide that you probably will die today, then I have to decide if I need the paramedics to come or if I need to just run to the hospital right now. There's very few decisions. Are you going to die today? Aren't you? Do I take you to the hospital? Do I leave you at home? Or do I call more people to help? It's not a complicated job. It's just not. I don't, it's short of a few things. 
I don't need to know what's causing it. Now, there's a couple things I'm looking for that will kill you really, really soon. So I really need to know if it's that or not. But after that, eh, we'll take you to the hospital. I was telling a story. I won't tell you the story, but I was telling a story yesterday to some people. And, and I was saying you know, that we saw this person who looked like this. And they're like, oh, what did you do? Did you do this or that? I was like, no. I said, you keep holding on to that. And I'm going to drive you to the hospital. <laughs> Why would I mess with what's going on here? What do you want me to do? I got some EMTs I work with that want to sit there for 45 minutes and diagnose the patient. I don't want to diagnose the patient. I want to get them to the hospital. Are they going to die or aren't they? It's a lot more simple than it sounds. I hope I didn't ruin it for all of you. (laughs) I know some of you are probably going to... Is that show Chicago Fire? Isn't there like a Chicago, like a bunch of things? Fire or EMS or something? I didn't want to ruin it for you, but they are a little dramatic on that show. <laughs> it's, it's a little more simple than that. It is. But that's kind of how this is. Like sometimes it seems super complicated and you have professionals trying to explain it to you. But the reality is, is you can grasp this too. Are you going to hell or are you not going to hell? Are you going to hell right now? Or a little bit later. Do I need to call in more resources on you? Romans chapter 8 verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Amen. John chapter 14 verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Paul said, if anybody comes to you preaching any other gospel than the one I have preached to you, it is heresy. Don't let it seem more confusing than that. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So all this kind of fancy schmancy, I wrote a book. Did you hear this sermon series on whatever? If it's saying something different than this, it's wrong. You just diagnosed it. Good job. That guy's going to hell. He's preaching. Because you're like, well, I don't need to know why. I just know he's violating the truth of God and telling other people the falsehood lies. And so it's not complicated. First John chapter one, verses eight through 10 says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, I've seen it before where somebody was trying to tell me that somebody else was a Christian. And then when a pastor asked this so-called Christian if they had any sins that they needed to repent for, that Christian said, no, I don't think I've ever really done anything that much wrong. And I said... They are not a Christian. And then I got pushed back like I'm being judgmental. I'm not judging. They just said something that is contradictory to the foundational principles of salvation. If you don't understand that you're a sinner who needs a savior, that you need forgiveness and you should be humbled by that. And Jesus Christ is that savior. If you don't understand that, you are not a Christian. 
that's not being judgy. That's just being honest. I mean, you should hope you have honest people in your life. It would really be bad to get to the end of the road and find out nobody ever told you the truth. No one's going to come in the church doors here and walk away saying, I wish somebody would have told me the truth. That's just who we are. That's who we are. Bring your friends. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 and 5 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love for which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. It's really pretty simple, and I think most of you know it, and that's why it's important. I just wanted to remind you of these things. You've been saved by grace. Not by works, not by the, the, the measure of stature you have or, or who you're related to. You've been saved by grace. Grace alone. It's the only thing that can save you. Through your faith and belief in Jesus Christ alone. That's it. You could memorize it. And then when somebody says, what does it mean to be saved? You say, well, I was saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. My dad used to say it all the time. If I was great, I tried to slip it in every sermon I can. You might have noticed it. I don't know. Maybe you haven't. You will now when you hear it. But that's that's the measure of things. So knowing all these things, you need to decide how you're going to respond to it. The whole point of hearing a sermon or somebody preaching the truth to you is bring you to a point of where you need to respond to it. If, if we get to a point where I share all this good information, but I don't give you an opportunity to respond to it and just let you off the hook, what good is that? I want to give you a chance to respond to it. You've heard some good things about faith and salvation and getting too prideful and recognizing that your faults and, and realizing that you are literally no better than any other person on this planet when it comes to sin and your need for a savior. Now, if you're a Christian, and you've been saved and been forgiven. Yeah, you're in great standing because now you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Yes, absolutely. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying like now you're condemned to sin forever. I'm saying you would be without Jesus. And with Jesus being the only defining factor between you burning in hell and you uh, living in righteousness, it should take away all your pride, completely humble you and let you know what you need to do for the next person so that they could have that same advantage in their life. Amen. Amen. This life is a sinking ship. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Right? Preach. This life is a sinking ship. But unlike the Titanic, no one's going to escape from death. We're all in the same boat. You can't be good enough or holy enough on your own. You need Jesus. Who's my piano player? Russ. Give me some music. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Here's my encouragement. And I think, I think for me, what I try to do sometimes, and, and it really irritates some of the, my bosses at work, but it's the right thing to do, is if you're going to be about something, you need to understand it. And if somebody says, why are you doing this or that, or why do you believe this or that, you should have an answer for them. 
And it doesn't have to be some complex answer. I'm not saying that you have to tell them where the verses are in the Bible. You should, sometimes in sales they call it the 30 second spiel. You should be able to tell them in 30 seconds why you believe this way and why you live your life this way. So if you were to ask me firefighter questions or my boss was, you know, wants me to do something to tell my firefighters, I'm going to say, help me understand this in a way that I can explain it to them when basically they say they're not going to do it. And I say, yeah, let me explain it to you why. And that's where you're at right now. I feel like I've explained it in such a way that you should be able to take this and explain it to somebody else, right? To be saved... You, it's, it's ABC. It's easy as ABC. Accept, believe, confess. You got to accept that you're a sinner in need of a savior, savior. And you got to accept and believe that Jesus Christ is that savior. You're a sinner who needs a savior. Jesus Christ is that savior in the only way. You have to believe that. And then you have to confess it. You have to confess your sins to God and say, I, I need your forgiveness. You need to repent and confess that and tell people about it. It's really easy. Accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And confess it to other people. Repent and turn your life around. It's super duper simple. Super duper simple. Why don't you bow your heads with me? So if you're in this place and and you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, never before, and today you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart saying, today is your day. You need to give your life to Jesus Christ. You accept that he's your Savior. You believe and you want to confess it. If that's you today, I want you to raise your hand and tell me you're giving your life to Jesus Christ today for the very first time. No better time, no better place. Okay. Now, if you're in this place and you've been far from God or you've fallen away or today you realize that you've been on the lukewarm wrong path and you need to get yourself right, there's no better time to do that than right now. So you need to have a little moment with the Lord right now and and ask for forgiveness for the sins that you've been carrying, the pride or whatever else it is, and come back to the Lord. He has been here the whole time. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you so much. I just thank you for your grace and mercy and your salvation and your forgiveness. When we were dead in our sins, you died for us, Lord God. When we had nothing to offer you, you gave us everything, Lord. We love you so much and we thank you tonight. Amen. Amen. Go get your kids and then fellowship for a little while. Hey, we want to thank you so much for being online with us today. I want to remind you, if you're not a follower on Facebook, please like our page on YouTube. Please subscribe. Follow us on Twitter. Tell all your friends. Continue to watch online. We thank you for watching. We love you so much. Have a great day.